Have you ever heard the, the expression, full of the Holy Spirit? Have you ever asked yourself, how does a spirit-filled life look like? And what effects should, I, should it have in my life? So seeking to, ask this, uh, to answer this question, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5 from verse 15 to verse 21. Now, um, before we start, in order to properly understand this text, we must understand it in its context. See, the book of Ephesians is divided into half. We can easily divide it into half. We have chapter 1, 2, 3, which is our calling as a believer. And then we have the second half, chapter 4, 5, and 6, which are our, our conduct. How should we conduct ourselves as a result of our calling. So we have the imperative. This is what the Lord has done, chapter 1 to 3. Chapter 4, 5, 6, this is how you ought to behave because of what the Lord has done. So looking at the larger picture, looking around the book, we see that God chose us before the foundation of the world that we become his children through adoption for the praise of his name. The moment we believe we were sealed with the Spirit until the day we make it to glory. And we see that presently we are being built into a holy temple by the Spirit. You see, beloved, it is the Spirit of God who is in control of building His church. He's in the business of building this church. So with that said, we're going to start in chapter 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reference for Christ. So in this section, we're going to see, we're going to see three, um, three contrasts. And then we're going to have three commands following those three contrasts. So we have three, uh, three contrasts. First one. We found first one in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time. Because the days are evil. Brother, this is a call for us to behave in a manner worthy of a call. We have a second contrast on verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So the command here is do not be fool. Do not be a fool. Do not be ignorant of the will of the Lord. We see in Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So what's a fool? 
A fool is someone who ultimate God is himself. He lives to please himself. He lives to do his will rather than God. So Paul is saying, seek to know the will of God. Our third and final contrast we have is found on verse 18. Now, please pay close attention. Because out of this contract, we're going to have three consequences. Three consequences that are going to come out of this contract. Found verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. So we have a clear command here. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Do not get drunk with wine because that produces debauchery. There's debauchery. All it produces is dissipation. You see, alcohol has a controlling effect. It makes people lose control of their faculties and their rational thinking. And dissipation divides the unity of the body rather than building it up. When it's the Spirit who is edifying the church, uniting the church. Paul told us in chapter 4, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. You see, the behavior produced by drunkenness tear down the unity of the body rather than building it up. Just uh, about 10, uh, 10 verses before, chapter 5, verse 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. So verse 18, do not get drunk with wine. And brothers, that can be said of anything that controls our life, whether it's our jobs, our money, our family, or just anything that controls our life rather than God. But instead, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. The Greek construction of, of the word be filled, it's a verb. So it's an action. And it's a present tense. So it's something you do constantly. Right now, constantly be filled with the Spirit. But it's passive. Meaning that it's not you who is doing it but it's, some, it's done by someone else. So another way to properly understand this word, be filled, is be being kept filled. This feeling of the Spirit doesn't refer um, to a one-time action as you were filled by the Spirit one time, nor is uh, it's more ha having more Holy Spirit as you can have more water into a cup. But the feeling of the Holy Spirit here is, is the feeling of the ship sail. Have you have a ship, a vessel, and then they have the, the sails, and the winds blow, and it fills the, the, the sails, the, the uh, uh, yeah, the, the sails, and it's moved around. It, it's moved and it's controlled by the wind. So Paul is saying here, yield control of your life to the Spirit not to wine or to anything else. Let the Spirit be controlling agent in your life. Let your life be controlled by the Spirit. Very interesting. We have a, a parallel text on Colossians chapter 3, verse, verse 16. 
So to the Ephesians, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. To the Colossians, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So which one it is? Basically, Paul is saying the same thing to the Colossians. You see, brothers, when the word of Christ dominates your life and you respond in obedience, it is the same thing as being controlled by the Spirit, who is the author of scriptures. So do not let alcohol be the controlling agent in your life, but let it be the Spirit. So as a result of that, we're going to have three consequences that come from a life being filled with the Spirit. This is how a Spirit-filled life looks like on a believer. We find the first command or first consequence in chapter 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So the immediate consequence of a spirit-filled life is joy. It's music. Music to the Lord and music to one another. Why do we sing? It is because we have a new song. We have a new song of redemption. So we sing out of joy and gratitude to our Savior who saved us by His grace. And we see this throughout the, the, the Scripture. We see that Moses, he, sang, he sang a song in, in Exodus 15, a song praising God for saving them from Pharaoh's army. The Psalms are filled with songs and, and commands to all over, over and over again to sing a new song to the Lord. In the great temple, there were 38,000 people serving. 4,000 were in the worship department. First Chronicle 13, the people gathered and sang with all their might. God likes it that way. The great revival of Nehemiah, when the book of God was discovered, it was read and people repented, and they returned to God. There was great music, loud and antiphonal, back and forth. Not only that, but we see that in the New Testament. We see in Matthew 26, 30, after the Lord's, the Lord's Supper, the last thing they did, they sang. They sang a hymn. This hymn is known as the, the Hallel, which is, uh, it is believed to be Psalm 113 to uh, Psalm 118, and that word Hallel, that's where we get the, well, the word from Hallelujah, which means praise be to God. Acts 16, we see Paul and Barnabas, they're locked in prison, but they're singing out of joy to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 14, sing with your mind and sing with your spirit. Part of our New Testament are actually songs. 1 Timothy 3.16, it is to believe a hymn that the early church sang. Not only that, but we have a great picture in Revelation 5.9. We see the redeemed church singing a new song to the Lamb who bought us for himself with his blood. So there's two aspects of this worship found in verse 19. First aspect, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So the first aspect we see is horizontal. That means that it's directed to one another. 
So we sing to one another in order to build, to strengthen the body, to encourage each other. See, beloved, when, when we're singing songs like, he will hold me fast, and a brother comes, and he may be weak, or he may be going through situation, and he hears you singing and proclaiming the truth of God, his faith is being strengthened. He's being encouraged by your singing. So there's that aspect, which is horizontal. There's another aspect found in verse 19. Singing and making melody to the Lord, to the Lord with your heart. There's a, there's a vertical aspect of our worship. In this aspect, there's, a, there's an audience of one, God himself. We sing into the Lord. So we sing into the brothers and we sing into the Lord. So we don't only sing with our voices, not merely external, but with your heart. The origin of our song is internal. It is the heart. So question, do we sing to one another or do we sing to God? Yes, yes. We sing to one another in order to build and to encourage each other, and we sing to God to praise his name for who he is and what he has done. There's a second command or a second consequence of a spirit-filled life, which is found in verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, a spirit-filled life is filled with thanksgiving. We give thanks to God for what he has done. So not only in the church, not, not only when we come here, we give thanks not only before a meal, not only once a year in Thanksgiving Day, but we always give thanks to the Lord. And for what do we give thanks? Let's keep reading on verse 20, second half. For everything to the Lord, to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So not only for the good, but we give thanks for the bad, not only for health, but also in sickness, not only give thanks while having much, but we give thanks when having, while having little. We give thanks to him for all he has done. As the psalmist says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. We see a third and last consequence of our spirit-filled life in verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we submit to one another. The, the, the word hypotasso is the Greek word for submitting. It is a military term. Um, and it means to submit oneself under. So we submit ourselves under. We regard others' needs as more important than ours. I seek to fill your need rather than my own need. And yes, beloved, that is part of our worship. We worship God as we submit to one another. It is a component of our worship to God. Now you ask me, to who do we submit to? And if we keep reading, we're going to find three contexts in which we, we submit. And this is found in, in chapter 5, 
from chapter 5, verse 22, all the way to chapter 6, verse 9. This is out of our scope, but I just want to touch on those, uh, those uh, three areas. Wife, submit to your own husband. Ask to the Lord. Ask to the Lord. Husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters as you would Christ. Master, do the same with your bond servants. So we see here three consequences of a spirit-filled life. How does it look in the life of, the, of a believer? First one, we sing. We sing to one another and we sing to Christ. Second one, thanksgiving. We always give thanks to the Lord for everything. Third consequence of a spirit-filled life. We submit. We submit in our marriage. We submit as parents in our parenthood and to our fathers. And we submit in work. So we can agree, brother, that worship is much more than just music. Worship is our life. What shall we say to this, brother? What shall we say to this truth? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Why? Because we don't always sing to the Lord. We don't always give thanks for everything to the Lord. We don't always submit to one another as to the Lord in our marriage, in our family, or our work. So I call you, brothers, repent and believe the gospel. If you're an unbeliever this morning, if you do not, if you do not, Jesus, if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, I call you to come to him in repentance and faith. Believe that you are a sinner and that you have sinned against a holy God who is righteous, who is angry with the wicked, but is also a good God that is merciful and has provided a substitute, a savior, to take the penalties for your sin and for the sin of all who come to him in repentance and faith. So come to Christ and be saved, beloved. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we, we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word, Lord. We ask you, Father, that you work in our hearts and you help us understand that the spirit-filled life is much more than just coming to church. That a spirit-filled life should touch every part of our life, every area of our life, Father. Father, let us sing to you that your name will be proclaimed and that your name will be exalted. Father, let us, let us come with you with thanksgiving. Give us a thanks, thanksgiving heart, Father. 
that we may give you thanks for everything. And Father, let us submit to one another as if, as if it was you, Father. Help us to love each other and love our spouses and love our children and our parents just as we would Christ. We give you thanks, Father, for the praise of your name. Amen.